Hello, and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson, and I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. What's up, Toby? Not too much, Joe. How you doing? Good, man. So, together on this show, we'll listen to legendary tracks and the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known tracks that they sampled from. So, my friend, what are we going to be exploring today? Well, this is Look What You Made Me Do from Taylor Swift. And for some reason, this song makes me feel extra sexy. Like, maybe a little bit too sexy, even? I don't think there's any such thing as too sexy. Okay. Well, yeah, not when it comes to me. <laughs> well, I'm glad I get to look at you through the glass right now. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, so, sir. So, I, I think there might be a reason why you're feeling a little too sexy. So, let's rewind and take a listen to a track that this sound samples from. Let's do it. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love, love's going to leave me. Nineteen ninety one. Ninety one takes you back. Where were you, where were you at, Joe? In ninety one, uh, I was looking forward to venturing off to college. There you go. Same here. Same All here. All right. So this is Right Side Fred. I'm too sexy. As mentioned from 1991, uh, Right Side Fred was a couple of brothers actually. Fred, who played guitar, and Richard Fairbrass, who uh, played bass and lead vocals. Um, they actually started playing in a band in the 70s called The Actors and did some touring and stuff. You know, it's funny because you, you tend to think of Right Side Fred as a novelty actor or one hit wonder, but uh, both these cats were pretty talented in their own right. Richard was a session bassist for Boy George and Mick Jagger and David Bowie, maybe some names you recognize there. Boy George from Culture Club, right? Yeah, that's the one. That's all right. That's all right. Do you want to hurt me and all that? All that. Karma, chameleon. Chameleon, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Now we're talking. Uh, Fred appeared as a guitarist in the Bob Dylan flick that no one ever saw, Hearts of Fire, (laughs) which I heard it was absolutely terrible, but I've never seen it, so I can't say. Um, But what's interesting is these guys got their name of their band, Right Said Fred, from a novelty song from 1962 called Right Said Fred. Let's give that one a quick listen. Right Said Fred, both of us together, one each end and steady as we go. Tried to shift it, couldn't even lift it. We was getting nowhere, and so we had a cup of tea and right said Fred. Yeah, so that's a good one. Um, <laughs> it's from a guy named Bernard Cribbins, who was uh, born in 28 in England and was a stage and TV actor. And he had, for some unknown reason, over in the UK, had a couple of novelty hits, and this was one of them. So Right Said Fred was the name of the track, and it hit the top ten in England. So, Well, times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> times have changed a lot. That's your top ten? Yeah, right. So I would feel like uh, like Hot Cross Buns would be like a, 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 probably a top, it's got to be like a top five hit then. Right? <laughs> well, right? I'm thinking like what would be a novelty, oh, do you remember that that Frog song from back in the day? Uh, that was kind of a novelty You talking about track. like Kermit? No, no, no. Oh, are you talking about the, what does the fox say? Is that what you're talking well, about? No, but that's a great one. That's a novelty <laughs> yeah, track. It definitely is a novelty track. So we track. still do it. It's just not the same. Anyway, so I'm Too Sexy was their debut single, and it topped the charts in six countries, including the U.S. 
it's actually inspired. So these guys were running a gym over in England, in London. And I know this is going to come as a shock to you. <laughs> but apparently there was a lot of narcissism and posing going on in the gym. People staring at themselves in front of the mirror. So you're saying times haven't changed. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, I've never seen someone take a selfie in front of, of a, a rack of weights ever. <laughs> you need to go to your closest L.A. fitness. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> so uh, one day Richard just took off his shirt and started singing, I'm too sexy for my shirt in front of a mirror. And they were like, hey, you know what? That's a, that's a great idea for a song. And so they, they wrote it down. It was kind of this indie rock song, which I would love to hear those early demos because I cannot imagine. Although I kind of want to take it now and just make it into that. <laughs> like go like 90s grunge with it or something. And, and you can do that just, just without me. Okay. I, would be, oh, come I, would, on. I would not be anywhere near you. Um, and again, it's interesting because... You know, we, we tend to think of these guys as one-hit wonders, but they're still making tunes. They are constantly on the dance and club charts and still still doing stuff. So good on them, right? Yeah, well, it's great. I mean, musicians, true musicians really never stop making music. You know, there's a lot. I mean, it just goes on and on. You might not hear it. You may not see it, but they're still making music. And actually, we're going to follow back up on on these guys a little later on some of, the, some of their latest stuff that they've yeah? done. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, you know one song that they've done actually recently, which is actually okay. pretty interesting. All ahead. right, awesome. So let's take a look at some of the tracks that they sampled. Uh, right Side Fred sampled in I'm Too Sexy. The first one we're going to look at is a song by somebody named Lynn Collins, uh, who did a song in 1972 called Think About It. Hey, fellas, I'm talking to you, you, you too. Oh, I've heard you this song. Get it. Let me Freeze. tell you something. The sisters are not going for that no more. Because we realize two things that you aren't doing anything for us. We better do by ourselves. So from now on, Uh-oh. we're going to use what we got okay. to get what we want. Okay. So oh, you'd better think. My goodness. You can't two-step to this. You got problems. You have zero rhythm. <laughs> you got rhythm. big problems and no rhythm. Right. Well, it's funny you said preach because Lynn Collins was actually nicknamed female preacher. Oh, I, don't, I, I can see why. Right? Um, she was born in 48 in Abilene, Texas. She was discovered in the early 70s. Um, let me see if you recognize these names as her relatives. Uh, Bootsy? Bootsy Collins? You ever heard of him? Mm, name, name rings Why a bell. Why is it that Bootsy is in like every single episode we do on this show? It's almost like intentional. Right. <laughs> So uh, Lynn and Bootsy and Catfish Collins were all discovered by James Brown. Um, Lynn actually married a guy who was her manager and was the local promoter for the James Brown Review. And after some meandering around, uh, she actually officially joined the James Brown Review in 72 on Brown's People Records label, which uh, this song, Think About It, was released on. So she wrote the track and Brown produced it. And it became her first and biggest hit and also made her the most commercially successful female singer in James Brown's camp. So the other interesting thing is that this song has been sampled over 2,000 times. And we're not going to get into all of that yet. Right, right. But there's some interesting stuff coming later. Okay. All right. I, li- I like your teasing I'm me teasing like that. a little yeah, bit Yeah, a little there. tease, a little tease. What happens when, you, when you're feeling too sexy, Toby? <laughs> the way that that starts... Uh, that is so sampleable, right? If that that if that is a word, I mean, it's right. just and even even her uh, 
her dialogue in the very, very beginning, her little monologue when oh, she's yeah. sitting there talking, that has been sampled a ton of times uh, as well. Uh, yeah, just shows a lot of female empowerment. Like, we ain't taking it no more. We, you know, we do this. think about it. You better think, you, you need to think about it. Reminds me of Aretha in uh, the Blues Brothers. Yes. She's like, think. Yes. Pushing yes. Matt Guitar Murphy around. Love yes. It. So the other sample in this track is Bobby Bird's Hot Pants. Uh, there was a bonus beats where they actually took some of the beats from those recordings and released those. Um, let's take a listen to that because, of course, there's some good loops in there. I'm coming. I'm coming, baby. I'm coming. Come and come, come. Help me. So my question is, where, he's coming from where? I don't know. He's got to catch a train. <laughs> That beat is sick. So in the uh, early 50s, Bird and his family actually sponsored James Brown's parole from prison. So come on, James, we'll get you out of jail. And then lo and behold, Bird gave Brown a spot in his vocal group, The Flames, which, of course, what would happen if you put James Brown in your band? Going to take it over. He's probably going to he's, he's <laughs> gonna go front and center. Right. So he ended up uh, taking over the band and relegating Bird to the background, which is fine because Bobby Bird then made a career of being kind of the—I guess he was one of the first hype men, right? He would go out and he would, he would play the warm-up for James Brown. And then after he did that, right. um, he would slide to the background. He would sing as a member of the famous Flames, which was Brown's backup vocal group. And then eventually Bird recorded his own work with Brown producing. Never really hit any other huge tracks or anything. But that's, again, the benefit of working with James Brown is you're going to do some fun stuff over the next couple of decades. Absolutely. I mean, it's James Brown. James Brown, the godfather. Godfather. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. It's a lot of opportunity there. So let's take a listen to another bit of music from I'm Too Sexy. This guitar medley during the bridge sounds a little bit familiar. So it almost has this psychedelic vibe, which is pretty cool. Let's let's dive in a little bit and see where that lick originally came from. I think it'll make a little more sense why it sounds that way. So it's pretty much the exact same riff. They just kind of interpolated and replayed it. Sure. Um, that right there is none other than Mr. Jimi Hendrix. My and man, his Jimmy. Song Third Stone from the Sun from his 1967 debut album, Are You Experienced? So I would like to kind of go back and we'll play this song from the beginning just because it's such an interesting tune and then we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of the history. Let's do it. So those crazy vocals are actually slowed down half speed, but they're they're talking basically about alien spaceships and oh look, there's a planet, let's go land on it. I hear there's intelligent life. Hmm. So I think what's what's fascinating just about Jimmy in general is his background and history and how he came to be, but also again all the connections. And every time we get into the show, we find all these crazy connections, right? Right. Um, so Hendrix was first signed by this guy named Chaz Chandler. So Chandler was actually the bass player for the band The Animals. So this bass track right here, which I think is a pretty well-known bass intro to a song uh, from their, from the animal song, We Gotta Get Out of This Place. Let's take a quick listen to that just so we can start to connect some of the historical musical dots. <laughs> ¶¶ 
sturdy old part of the city. Oh, I love Eric Burton's voice too. It's so good. People tell me there ain't no So Chaz is the guy playing bass on this track, and probably the most famous animal song, uh, or at least our cover of this song, is this one right here. A little ditty called House of the Rising Sun. And this is my jam. Oh, it's right such here. a good song. This is my jam right here. such a great song to sing to. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this guy Chaz is a bass player for the animals, and clearly they've had a bunch of hits, and they're touring around, they're doing 300 dates a year, and it's crazy, and he says, you know what, we're making no money, I'm done. So he quits and decides to become a talent scout and a producer, and he's hanging out in Greenwich Village in New York, and he's hanging at this club called the Café Wa, um, <laughs> and there's this girl named... Linda Keith, who's actually Keith Richards' girlfriend, is like, hey, you need to go check out this band that's playing. They're pretty good. And so there's this guy named Jimmy who's playing in, in a band called Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. And they would play five sets a night sometimes, usually six days a week. They weren't making a ton of money either. But they would do a lot of covers. And ironically, House of the Rising Sun was one of them. And Third Stone from the Sun, which eventually became what it was from Are You Experience, was one of the early original tracks that they worked in. But what's interesting is musicians know talent, right? So when you're surrounded by people that can play and, you know, you know when you're like in the presence of greatness, as it were. So Mike Bloomfield, who is uh, no guitar slouch himself, was one of the people that was hanging around. And I just, I found this quote that he said, which just to me so well describes what must have been going on at the time. So he was witnessing Hendrix was laying at this time, and he's like, H-bombs were going off, guided missiles were flying. I, I can't tell you the sounds he was getting out of his instrument. He was getting every sound I was ever to hear him get right there in that room with a Strat, a Fender Twin, and a Maestro fuzz box, and that was it. And he was doing it mainly through extreme volume. That day, Hendrix was laying things on me that were more sounds than licks, but I found, after hearing him two more times, that he was into pure melodic playing and the lyricism as much as he was into sounds. He had melded them into a perfect blend. And I think that's what a lot of people initially when they hear Hendrix maybe kind of get wrong is like they see him doing the, the national anthem and that crazy, you know, effects that he's getting and just the whammy bar moves and all that. And they don't recognize just how lyrical and melodic his playing was and how he was able to take all those sounds and kind of put them together. Would you call him, would you classify him as a genius? Oh, absolutely. In your mind? Yes. So it's interesting to me after, you know, uh, I've taken lessons, guitar lessons, right? And, uh, you know, and I know you know how to play uh, the guitar. It is not the world's easiest instrument. I mean, there are parts to it. It can be pretty intricate depending on, you know, which style of guitar you're playing. But for him to play, and I want to say he's a left-handed, right? You flicked over a strat and played it backwards left-handed, yeah. I mean, that's that's crazy as as it is, right? But you're not getting regular training. No, that's, uh, you're pretty much self-taught if you're trying it that way. So self-taught and and just influence, right? Because we're if you look at it, it's it's kind of beautiful in a way, right? This bass player uh, from the Animals is basically saying, "Hey, I'm equipped. Because we're not making yeah, we're done money." But then he goes and sees this sees this this kid playing at Cafe Wap playing his right, song, right? Right, one of his songs. That's kind of crazy, right? And then years, Hendrix, he's playing. He, he flipped the guitar over. He's playing it backwards, and that actually inspired Cobain from Nirvana to play it the uh, same Well, Jimmy way. was from Seattle, right? So I'm guessing that that was the connection yeah. there is one of the... You, you, yeah. You're probably right. You're probably right. I mean, it's just it's just interesting the, you know, the Absolutely. effect the that legacy. you can have. The legacy. So exactly. the other fascinating story that I, that I found from this is that uh, 
again, at the time, Chandler was kind of going around in clubs and whatever. And in his own head, because as he was stepping out as a producer, he had heard this folk rock arrangement of the, the song Hey Joe. And he thought, man, I would love to take this song and launch a new artist and launch my career as a producer. And so, again, by happenstance or maybe serendipity, uh, when Linda Keith brought him in here, you know, to go watch Jimmy play that night, the first song that they played was Hey Joe. And the quote goes, and it's an often famous quote, is that, that Chandler became so excited he spilled his milkshake all over himself, right? So this is the part that's funny, right? Because it had to be serendipity or fate or whatnot. But here, here we are, Linda right. Keith, right? Uh, and her boyfriend's name was what? Keith Richards. Right. Guy you might have heard Keith of. Keith that's, that's just kind of weird, though, that you're dating a woman. I, that you know, has I had that same thought. Name. I'm glad you brought that, <laughs> that up. That is weird. That's, that's you know, to me, that's an automatic no. If I met somebody whose last name was Toby, was you wouldn't Toby, do it? I'm, I, I don't know. It had to be something. It had to be something special. What if you met a woman <laughs> named Braswell? Would you do that? She'd probably be my sister, so no. <laughs> the no, it was her first no. name. Come on. Oh, her first name was Braswell. Just Braz. I wonder who her All parents right. were. It's like Braz. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. The uh, other cool part of that story is that Chandler wanted to take Jimmy to England because he's like, we got to get out of here and we got to get you a real band and, and we've got some ideas of what we can do. And Jimmy, being a good cat, was like, I don't want to leave my crew. Like, these are my boys, and, you know, we're doing good stuff here, and we're not making a killing, but I'm getting to make the kind of music that I want. But apparently he had one last gig with uh, this band called Curtis Knight and the Squires, and this is what, what he gets criticized for, for being too flashy and loud. And so, he, which just reminds me of, what is that, Back to the Future, right? He had a Marty McFly moment. He's like, yeah, you, yeah. you guys, trust me, your kids are going to love this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he gets criticized for this, and he just rips out his guitar cord and announces, that's the last time I play this. We'll clean it up. Stuff. Right. I'm going to England. And so he moves to England, forms the experience, and, and off they are. So speaking of which, let's get back to our second featured track, Third Stone from the Sun by Jimi Hendrix. Toby, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that you have a pretty good idea of what the actual Third Stone from the Sun would be. Well, yeah, of course I do. It was actually a uh, sitcom. <laughs> Right or that back in the day, it was, was a sitcom. Wasn't that I remember third it rock now. from the sun? Ah, oh, third rock, third stone. I mean, you know, tomato, okay. tomato. It's I like about it. the same thing. Yeah, that's uh, what you're talking about, right? Yeah. No, uh, Earth, my friend. <laughs> Earth. We are the Earth. third stone oh. from the sun. Oh, got it, got it. So the other other cool thing is that. Uh, Jimmy and, and Chandler like loved their science fiction books, and Jimmy was reading one called Earth Abides, not not Dudabides, Earth Abides by this guy okay. named George R. Stewart, which is mm-hmm. a post-apocalyptic story about a dude who wanders out of isolation in the mountains and finds just about everyone dead, which, you know, sounds like my dreams on a random Thursday night. <laughs> but <laughs> Stop eating cake yeah, so, right. so late. Enough with the ice cream. <laughs> no chocolate after 10. So this Keep song going. is sort of a tongue-in-cheek parody about chickens being smarter than us. Um, yeah, so Jimmy's quote on this is, you know, these guys come from another planet, you know, and they observe Earth for a while, and they think that the smartest animal on the whole Earth is chickens. And therefore, there's really nothing else to do, so they just blow it up in the end. And I thought, there's some wisdom there. He might be right. Yeah, he might have a point. So, again, we talked about how the lyrics are slowed to half speed in the beginning, um, but halfway through the song, they become intelligible, and I just wanted to read the second verse, which is, Although your world wonders me with your majestic, superior, cackling hen, your people I do not understand. So to you, I wish to put an end, and you'll never hear surf music again. <laughs> That's As just well? rude. That's just rude. That's just rude. Kind of makes me wonder if, if some rude. aliens showed up, would they have the same response right now? 
Oh, man. Well, only if disco <laughs> was still around. I'll tell you what, <laughs> disco was around, you could definitely, yeah, they would definitely say something about that. They'd burn that down, that's for sure. Uh, so other than, you know, those spoken words, the song is basically an instrumental track, and it was really kind of showcasing Jimmy's jazz influences and his ability to kind of play in that style, and it's sort of had that influence moving forward to a lot of people. And then let's take a quick listen to another song that uses Third Stone from the Sun as a sample, and that's the Beastie Boys aptly titled Jimmy James, because remember, he was Jimmy James in the Blue Flames, from their yeah. 92 album, Check Your Head, which I actually really dig that album. There's a reason. Yeah, it's, it's a good, good one. It's a good album. Um, so this Jimmy James is another song uh, another song that uses samples from Third Stone from the Sun. Let's give that a listen. Let's do it. They actually use a ton of uh, Hendrix samples on that track, but it's a a cool tune. Yeah, it is a cool tune. I I enjoy that. So far, we have checked out a couple of older tracks that are kind of a tongue-in-cheek look at our flawed humanity. So let's fast forward to the present day and have another listen to our next featured track, Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift, a song where she's kind of taking a hard swipe at both herself and the world around her. the similarities between the chorus and right said fred's i'm too sexy let's replay just the very tippy intro of i'm too sexy and then i made a quick little mashup of the two together which a lot of times when we do these mashups we always find how the voices kind of blend in a cool way so let's just listen to right said fred first right here i'm too sexy for my love too sexy for my love love's going to leave me so that part right there is basically what what taylor used for Look what you made me do. Right. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. So I kind of took both of those and I banned them a little bit left and right and I, I put them together and I kind of had to slide the tempo on the right side Fred track just a little bit. But let's give that a quick listen because I think it's pretty cool. You know what is so funny? So earlier i had mentioned that you know they're still doing music right so when taylor's song came out when the video came out they actually got a call from their manager saying hey you know that uh there's somebody that wants to sample your song like hey you know sure why not and then they find out later that it's taylor they're like super excited uh so they go back in the studio and they do their own mashup 
And so the actual mashup that they do basically samples Taylor singing it and them singing oh, really? the song. It's it's pretty So cool. it is cool that Taylor actually gives Richard and Fred Fair Brass their songwriting credit because given props, right? So she knew that she must have been intentionally taking that little lick and saying, I'm going to sing that. And I don't know that the average person would notice otherwise, especially in the context of the entire song. I do give her props. What I would say is this is probably just looking out for her sure. best interest, right? Because of what's happened recently with uh, some artists getting sued and things like that. But, I, you know, I'm not going to take anything she away did the right thing. from what she did. She did the right thing, absolutely, without having been told right. so <laughs> after right. the fact. So let's talk about this song and the video because it's... It's interesting, all the different layers that she's got going on, right? So she's taken a swipe at her own sort of crafted personas that she's had through the years. She's taken swipes at Kim and Kanye and Katy Perry and streaming services and ex-boyfriends and even her own, like, co-writing. So I didn't know this. This is some of the research that I was doing because, you know, I'm not up on all the Taylor Swift fandom that everybody else is. But apparently she had written under a pseudonym of Niles Joberg. Um, mm -hmm. And had done that track with Calvin Harris under that pseudonym. And then there was a whole Twitter feud about that when they broke up. And right, but it was because she kind of outed the whole fact that she actually pinned that, right? Uh, and that was supposed to be kind of kept secret and uh, or kept on the low. It just made it seem like Calvin... <laughs> made him you look... You felt like she threw him under the bus a little bit? Yeah, I just felt like, you know, it was unnecessary. She didn't have to do that. And, you know, it's uh, it's just an emotional decision. That's uh, what it looked like to me. And, and a lot of these situations, that's what, to me, is so fascinating yeah. about her because as big as she is, and we're talking what, you know, she's she's one of the most powerful female singers. No, I'm not even going to say female. She's just one of the most powerful uh, entertainers right now. You know, but yet she finds herself... In these feuds with uh, Katy Perry is a, is, a, is a big one. What happened there was Taylor had dancers. Okay. She had dancers and they were on their yeah. tour, right? And apparently, Katy took those dancers from her tour and basically felt like, or maybe I have it. Oh, backwards. I'm sure we will we will get we will get noted by the social media people. No, Taylor had the dancers, right? Taylor had the dancers. Katy stole them from Taylor. Well, that sounds like a legitimate reason to be upset. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It is a reason. Uh, the dancers were like, "Well, we weren't really, weren't really dancing, dancing for for, uh, for, for, Taylor, for Taylor anyway." So, I mean, at the end of the day, if they're getting more money and it's a better gig, then right, right. I mean, she's so. I listen to a lot of Taylor, and she is a really good writer. She's just sure. she is a very, very good writer. I really like her some of her early stuff uh, that she did, and even this stuff here. I mean, one could argue that. Uh, this is, although not done in hip hop fashion, yeah. right? It's still it is kind of hip hop, oh, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's like she's. This is this is a battle track, you know. It, this yeah. is a diss track, essentially, just one that is danceable, right? Uh, which I kind of like. I, I do. I do like that. Like, oh, okay. And I, I love the production on this track too. I think it's just it was just well done. So you mentioned Taylor being ginormous, right? So this song actually broke the record for the most plays in a single day on Spotify. No. Um, platinum, number one chart in multiple countries, including the U.S. Uh, can you you guess which song it bumped off the charts after a 16-week run? No, I'm curious. Despacito. Really? Yeah. So this is the one that took it over and said, see ya, Bieber. Well, look what you made me do. All right. <laughs> and uh, 84 million streams in the first week. Ooh. So, yeah, this was huge. And, again, you talk about Taylor, even from her humble beginnings as a country artist to everything she's doing, she's 
She's an icon. Yeah, well, especially one, like I said, the, the big thing for me with her is that she writes her own stuff. And yep. she's, you know, she is a musician. And apparently other people's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Taylor Swift is clearly a worldwide phenomenon with enormous pop culture significance. Let's dive back into the song that we mentioned earlier in the show, Think, by Lynn Collins, which has been sampled over 2,000 times and is a worldwide phenomenon in its own right. So, Toby, this is a part of the show where we dive into our bonus material. We're going to play something right now called the Woo Yeah Break. You ready for it? I'm ready, man. Let's play it. That's so, I want to rock right now. Well, we're getting to that. <laughs> Relax, son. We'll get there. <laughs> so, yeah, again, this but is... But I want to rock right you, now, you, Right? <laughs> Your name's Tobe. You came to get down? That's right. Is that it? All right. That's it. So, as uh, you are teasing up in a second, we'll get there. But the first sample of this... So, this is actually a thing. That little snippet of the song is called the Woo Yeah Break. It's even got its own Wikipedia entry. It's been used so much. Um, the first sample is actually by a UK duo called Cookie Crew. Um, they did a song called Females in 1987. So let's take a listen to that. Talk about females. We got a lot to say. There's all kinds walking around in this world today. Females. Cause we're sick and tired. Of rumors going around. Why don't you all retire? So, Toby, I'm going to let you introduce the 1988 track that you are so excited to talk about. Give it a go, my friend. The year, 1988. The most well-known use of the Woo Yeah Break, It Takes Two by Rob Bass. This song, my friend, um, this does it for me. Every every time. Do we need to take a dance break in here while we listen to it? Listen, I'm going to take one. Okay. Definitely. I think it's mandatory. Uh, Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, certified platinum and... uh, Certified wonderful. Cert- <laughs> there you go. Well said, sir. Well said. Can we play that? Right about now, you're about to be possessed by the sounds of. I just wanted to have the full intro so we get that. The build. Man, that is that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So good. I'll so never forget huge. the NBA All Star Game that year. Yeah. Played this song as the as the players are being introduced. Oh, I'll never forget it. It's lovely. Well, what if you shot a three? Then it wouldn't take two. It would take <laughs> or a foul shot. They're okay. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. You, you round up. <laughs> or round down. <laughs> All right. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> So this, again, it's been used over 2,000 times, but sometimes it's kind of buried to hidden. I cannot believe I found this gem. This is from 91. I'm just going to play it for you, Toby, and I want to see if you can guess the voice because it's a very, it, you just listen. Okay. So that, my friend, do you have a guess? Give me a guess. I have, I have no clue. It is completely out of her, what we generally associate with her. Really? Mm. That is Alanis Morissette. Really? Yes. 
So back early in her career when she was, you know, the Canadian pop star, this was uh, one of her original demos. The crazy thing about this is what I find is they took her to Paris to shoot the video for this, spend a ton of money, and it ends up getting her a deal, so it worked. But so guess who's the uh, the male lead in this video? Ooh. Our friend Joey from Friends, Matt LeBlanc. You're, you're joking. No, you have to go to YouTube and find this video. <laughs> Listeners, go find it because it's amazing. Wow. And, it, and it's so great because you know what, he, what his name is in the video? Matt. So they, they didn't even give him a oh stage name. They're like, hey, Matt. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, I'm sorry. That was uh, Alanis Morissette, Walk Away from 1991. So that was a fun one. You can kind of hear the woo yeah break tucked back in there somewhere. This is another one that I've heard this song a bazillion times and never realized that break was was in there. Let's give this one a listen. Yo, these four new jacks is real smooth on a Honda chip. Make Mike shine the one, you know the mentality. Keep the gift. So yeah, that's uh, that's good old Motown Philly from yes, Boys is. to Men, and yes, I, just in that little break, I was like, they just snuck it in. It's like everybody just tries to sneak it in now. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's perfect. There's never a bad use. It's, I kind of want to use this in every song I make from I, now on. You know on. what? I, I I second that. I mean, that sample is kind of like Jello. I mean, there's always room. There's, right? there's, <laughs> there's always room for that sample for the Booyah break. I got more. So uh, then people started sampling Rob Bass's version. So uh, Black Eyed Peas did a song called Rock That Body in 2009. So let's give that one a listen. Fast forward to 2013, and we're going to take a listen to Miley Cyrus, who did a little song called We Can't Stop. And it's kind of tucked back in there, but you can hear it if you give it a listen. So it's subtle, but she snuck it in. That, that is hidden. That is hidden. hidden. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2018, so this year, we've got a Swiss-Italian DJ, EDX, song called Anthem, and we're still using it all these years later. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jello, my friend. Jello. Jello. The woo yeah break is the jello of music. It is. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of Riffs on Riffs. So, Tobe, today we connected the dots between three songs. Taylor Swift, Look What You Made Me Do, Right Side Fred, I'm Too Sexy, and Jimi Hendrix, Third Stone from the Sun. Tobe, what do we got going on for the next episode? Well, next episode, uh, we're going to be taking some brandy, getting sly, talking a little bit about Janet. Uh, can we bring the family? Is it a family-friendly show? We can do that and also kick some stones kick as well. Kick some stones around? Yeah. Why don't okay. we do that? That sounds like fun. I hope everybody will join us. In the meantime, let's end the show with a more recent track from Right Said Fred. Like we mentioned before, these two veteran musicians are still doing their thing and making music since their 92 hit song, I'm Too Sexy. 25 years later, they're still making people dance. This time to the tune of a classic 1936 cover of Fred Astaire's celebrated dance duet with Ginger Rogers. It's a recent single released in 2017 called Let's Face the Music and Dance, Electro Swing Style. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Julie Fink. Audio engineers, Eric Coltnow and Dave Shaw. And audio director, Michael Seifert. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Let's face the music and dance. Let's face the music and dance. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.